Hi everyone, this is Arthi from Human Chapters. I'll tell you a little bit about Human Chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe each one of us has a worthy story to share. Acknowledgement to country. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we are. We pay respect to their tribal elders past and present and emerging. We celebrate their continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. Today, we are going to be talking to Litea um, and Litea is going to be sharing um, her journey from New Zealand to Australia. Litea, tell, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, first of all, thank you for having me, Arti. Um, I was, uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the elders here um, uh, the, uh, from the mob, Terrible and uh, Yagara Nations. Uh, I'd like to pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Um, and to the ancestors across the Moana that has brought me here to this day to share with you guys. Um, so I live in Mianjin, Brisbane with my partner and our 12 year old cat, Gordon. He's very important. Um, he's a little bit of a, uh, and sometimes he's, um, so I, I'm an author, children's picture book author. And Gordon likes to accompany me sometimes, just like sleeping around and giving me pats and whatnot to motivate me. Um, but I, uh, uh, as a day job too, I also work in a childcare centre as a um, as a cook, uh, which I thoroughly enjoy. I have had a few um, steam burns and whatnot, but that's part of the job. Um, but yeah, always been in a caring sort of position. So uh, when I first started employment, it was as a youth worker, um, mm -hmm. then as a disability worker, um, aged care worker, and then also looking after my mum when she got sick before she passed. So doing that sort of work. Um, and then going to uh, the childcare center as doing the cooking position. It was kind of like still caring, but not having to take all that full on energy. And it's something that I love doing. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Litia, tell us about your journey from New Zealand to- um, Okay, so my journey, uh, I left New Zealand in 1986 with, um, <laughs> So I was uh, six years old and I was expecting, I think, kind of that once we got off the plane, there would be kangaroos and koalas and everything around the plane. Uh, much to my disappointment, that wasn't the, wasn't, um, that wasn't the truth. Uh, it was also one of the first times I wore a dress because um, our mum got us in like our Sunday best just to get on the plane and, uh, you know, we had to really present ourselves well to the, to the world. Um, yeah, so I moved over when I was in, in 1986. I spent most of my time in Brisbane or in Logan City, uh, which is uh, city outside Brisbane 
Um, that's also a very, it's known for it, uh, a low socioeconomic um, uh, city um, area. Um, so I did a lot of my education out there. It's uh, primary, secondary. Uh, my family lived there for over 30 years. Um, yeah, so, and whenever I think about Logan, I, it takes me back to good childhood memories and, you know, um, I think there's a lot of talent that comes out of those areas that just get um, looked over. And so big cities like Brisbane think, they claim they claim us Logan City for kids, you know, like when we uh, are doing something successful. But I, 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 yeah, so that's my situation at the moment. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so tell us what your experience has been from I suppose your early years to become going through primary school, um, some insights, a particular uh, pivotal points you might have had. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, when we first moved over, we obviously didn't have money. Um, so we grew up, uh, had our first housing commission house, um, which is one of those government funded houses. Um, out at Woodridge in Logan, and my parents were having to support, how many siblings did I have at that time? So overall, I've got like, uh, there's 12 of us, um, 12, yeah, 12 kids, and my parents at the time were having to provide for three, four, five, six, six children. Yeah. Um, and so dad was the main uh, bread um, the main yeah uh, money earner um, at that time. Um, I used to go to school and we were myself and another friend and families that were having it a bit rough were given uh, these boxes that we um, called poor boxes. Now what was in them was like you know um, a bread, you know, milk, you know, all the basic stuff, but also just extra treats. Um, but like one of my friends and I, who she was Tongan, Jamaican, and um, we would before we'd get home, we would go through our boxes and get out the cream buns. Mm -hmm. So we'd eat the cream buns and then would give it, <laughs> give the rest of the family them not knowing any wiser. So like. <laughs> um, but yeah well, that's all we used to do but it, it wasn't a shame thing either it was just such a normalized kind of um, thing for us to collect our our, our poor boxes um, but yeah so we did struggle um, a, a little bit in terms of financially but my parents did the best that they could yeah. uh, and I think that's what um, sort of gets me through if I if ever I'm having a bit of a hard day just think about the struggles that my parents went through and they also um had to learn how to speak English yeah. um yeah. so my father uh, actually was um illiterate and um had to teach himself um as an adult how to read and write um, English. So I, there's a few like notebooks that he's written um, things in and it's very obvious that he was not fluent. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
um, which is kind of funny now because uh, I'm an author and all that he did to work hard has got me to this point in my life where literacy I have taken for granted um, up until uh, up until now where I'm like oh I can actually write read mm-hmm. share stories um, and that's something my father wasn't able to do so much but he was a very strong um, willed man a very good provider a very good father um, but yeah, I think he found it difficult having to be bilingual. So he was born in Samoa and yeah. so was my mum. His education, I think, stopped at grade two or grade three. And that's that was his level of reading and writing. Um, as for my mum, she went through high school and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, she too had to, at some point when the older, us older kids um, were old enough, We'd have to look after ourselves so that mum and dad could both go out and provide and get us through school and, you know, yeah, go through all that sort of stuff. That's incredible. Like, that's, and that's a difference of one generation, isn't mm. it? Like, yeah. about what their migration story has been and how... Like, do you find when you think back to their migration story and your personal story, because it's, it is still a migration story, mm. like, do you see, do you feel like they're at parallels or do you feel like they are so different from each other because of the opportunities? What, what does, yeah, what does your migration story reveal? So it's like a, a second migration or third migration, isn't it? Um. I find they went through a lot more. Um, yeah. I think having to struggle to in the time in the years that they were also like they experienced racism in New Zealand and because um, uh, during that like uh, when they were in New Zealand, there were the dawn raids and that sort of attitude where there's too many Pacifica people. Now let's, you know, get rid of them. But we shipped them over because we wanted them to do all the labor work and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the reason why I think my parents brought us here was to get better education. I think um, financially, New Zealand was getting too hard. And they just thought it would be a lot a better and safer place to be raised, um, to raise their kids. Um, as for like I, um, so I, I I'm obviously identify as Samoan. I am one of those Samoans that very passionate about my culture. Um, I love everything about it. But one of the things that holds me back is. Um, not being uh, as bilingual and so that's something that I can appreciate with my with my parents and go you guys did it on such low western idea of education managed to get through this world being bilingual and uh, being able to help other families who were in similar situations and be like um, pillars in the local community um and yeah, so and and that's again something I take for granted, took for granted was, 
we as kids did not weren't raised um well we were raised speaking Samoan but we sort of lost that as we got anglified so that we could assimilate into um uh into uh, the western schools that we went to mm-hmm. and and church and the white churches white church we would attend um yeah so think, oh hmm. sorry letty no no you go um the other thing that's really interesting so you grew up speaking samoan mm. uh, and then and you talked about the assimilation yep. as a kid if you can and i don't it's not always easy to remember but when you were a um, child say even primary school age uh, and sort of speaking Samoan then you know as the years go by whether it's the idea of forgetting it just because it's not spoken as much what did what did that sort of feel like for you when you um so the thing is my older siblings and myself like our parents still spoke to us in Samoan we just didn't necessarily have to respond um, because they sort of encouraged us to learn English so that we could find it easier to um, understand at school and things like that and um, also I think it was a bit of a show-offy thing like uh, you know bless my parents but I think it was to show other people in the community that like yes they're Samoan children but look at them we've educated them and they're well spoken and they can speak English well and so in that sense it sort of um, accelerated our sort of anglified way of losing our sort of language too but what's um so I've got like a a couple of younger sisters and two of them mostly were raised um, in, so when we went, let me rewind back, sorry. When we moved to Woodridge, there weren't many um, Pacifica uh, families. So there was myself, um, another uh, Tongan family and another Samoan family. Um, So there wasn't much of a community and our local church, because I was raised Catholic, um, our local Catholic church uh, is the same church we used to, I went to primary school with, yeah. it's primary school at. Um, and so we didn't have things like White Sunday. White Sunday was actually uh, more of a thing that happened in New Zealand and in Samoa. And so when we came to Australia, the community wasn't big enough to actually hold White Sunday, and it's interesting that I wrote a book, White Sunday, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, about that sort of uh, idea. Um, but as a so as time went by, uh, and my little baby sisters were born, um, the community started to grow, and then there was like um, actual people that could make form a Samoan proper Samoan group so that they you know we, they could celebrate white sunday um and there my little sister's salmon comes from having to uh, learn through um 
church so through the bible reading someone through bibles and all that sort of stuff um but yeah that's where my me and my older siblings we didn't because we didn't do white sunday here in australia that was also something that held us back from learning the language whereas um when the community started to form my youngest siblings were able to um uh, learn how to speak Samoan through church and through maths, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's that's incredible. So with um, you sort of not having that opportunity, at any mm. stage in life, did you then realise and go, well, why wasn't this the case? Like, did you actually start questioning? And is, yeah, is it a moment you remember? I um, well, I was probably in my late or early early twenties, and I was like, "Mom, why didn't you encourage us to like to go back and learn and and, and speak?" She's like, "Well, you can learn it now." I was like, "But that's beside the point. Like, why didn't you encourage us to, you know, um, to, to continue with the language?" Um, and I really didn't get uh, much of an answer from her or my dad, but yeah. except for, well, you can pick it up now. There's other kids your age that still speak it. So go have chats with your friends. Um, I was always, I did blame them a lot um, for losing that part of my um, my identity. Yeah. Uh, but in, uh, in saying that, like the language is important, but I think, also, what I take is um, other values of love and respect for not just myself, but for my family and for the community, mm -hmm. um, for the Ainga. And uh, I think um, service, service um, servitude, that sort of um that sort of uh, value that we have as part of Samoan culture um you give you, yeah you provide and um, you provide the service and you know you don't expect anything back but yeah you slightly do kind of but um <laughs> <laughs> you say you don't but you do yeah, yeah. um <laughs> uh, yeah uh but um, yeah, so there are other aspects that make me feel um, Samoan too. Um, ideally, the language, yep, I would, I, I still would have time to do it. Um, and that is something I could still like pick up. I just need to get myself into gear. Yeah. Now, tell me what is that? To gear? Is that like a. Oh, no, oh, to, uh, sorry, to uh, like kick myself into gear. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, right. Into yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Like, yeah. Edit. <laughs> so did you, um, Litea, then at any point, did you ever feel a disconnect if language was so important and you had you had, had sort of a second migration, right? Like yeah. first to New Zealand, then to Australia, but about your culture or, and given that there were, three families where you mm. share it with was there ever a point where you're like oh there's just this disconnect and sometimes that is difficult to articulate but as you grow older you sort of start to understand it a bit yeah yeah what was that like uh, for you? so I did feel a disconnect once I started to realize that 
there were kids um, of my age and even like my younger siblings where I was having to ask them how to say words and things like that and how to spell like um, read read and write um, in Samoan. And I felt like a bit of embarrassment, um, but also, you know, well done, well done to them for learning how to read and read and write in Samoan. But um, I did feel that bit of disconnect and kind of like um, there was a moment where in my life where I felt kind of phony, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I realised now it. I am authentic in in um, who I am and what I believe and I know I'm someone and that to me is all that matters really um, and then um, uh, yeah and that's so interesting and I and I, the reason why I'm asking you these questions Slitter is I have felt very much like that oh really I felt very much like so my background and the simplest way that I try to sum it up in a sentence is I am Kenyan by nationality, mm. I'm Indian by ethnicity or Gujarati by ethnicity, and I'm Australian by naturalization. And those three roots have been, have had their advantages, but they've also had a, a significant contribution in a feeling of that disconnect and yeah. going from like I'm I'm wondering whether it was similar right like for you guys yeah. and when I felt that disconnect or when I when I identified that's what happened and sort of accepted then I'd lo- love to ask and feel free not to answer this question um, but like you said you feel you're authentically Samoan mm. Was there a moment in time where you actually felt that, truly felt it in your core? And yeah, what was, or was it a gradual seeping in? Oh, look, so my mum always used to, when I was growing, when we were growing up, um, we took uh, my family and I took up a paper uh, route, route, um, and so we would deliver, you know, mail around the neighbourhood and whatnot. There was one Samoan family who was just new, and I was always talking about Samoa this, Samoa that, and you should come to my school. Um, and then I found out that this girl was um, my age, and she was just uh, came from New Zealand. And I said, "You're Samoan, hey, you should come to my school because Samoans are great, and you, you're going to have so much fun at my school." And my mum always laughed because she's like no matter who you came across, you would always talk about your Samoan. You always said that you were proud to be Samoan. And I think that's something um, throughout, um, like from my childhood uh, and just got like increased as um, the more I saw our faces out there um, and more of a community out there. Um, Yeah. So I just, uh, yeah. Yeah, that is so, okay. So that's so interesting. Whereas I, um, thinking back to my sort of experience is I tried to be as Western as I could, even from a young age. So it wasn't like this was 
I don't know. I think I would actually call it a cultural identity crisis for over two decades of my life. Yeah. And that was really interesting to me because we start observing things that social observation starts very young. When yeah, we're, yeah. Two, we're three and we start understanding the world around us in our, yeah, it's, it's just interesting learning about myself and every time something would happen and I'd go oh wow I didn't even realize this was happening so gradually but so deeply and then to unlearn or even feel the shame and guilt of why did I why why was I made to feel like that Um, and why didn't I appreciate my cultures like there are multiple cultures um, that I was exposed to that I've been immersed in like that to me now I would wear, wear it as a badge of honor, but yeah. Mm, mm. Um, yes. um, well, you know, I, I was surrounded by a lot of um, white kids when we came over from New Zealand and it was a predominantly white community. So not having many of, our, again, lack of representation within our, um, my community, of other South Pacifica people, um, I guess I, in that way, I had to feel like, well, I can't bring my Samoanness out here to school. I can only do it at home. Um, mm. Mm. What did that feel like? Oh, what did that feel like? <sighs> Exhausting. <laughs> Let's, if you don't mind, can we unpack that a little bit further? And I am wondering if you felt like that years ago, I'm wondering whether kids still feel like that, that they have to suppress a part of their identity. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah, what did, like, when you talk about Samoanness, first of all, what, what is it for you? Because mm. obviously not a representation, but or like a generalized representation. But what is that for you? And what were you actually suppressing at school? And then what did that be like? So sorry, a three-part question. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what Samoanness mean means yeah. to me? Um, it means it's just this. Can it's this um. And I can't describe it, but it's just this innate sort of um, feeling of connection to my family, to my parents, to my ancestors. Like I can feel the ancestors, my ancestors from way back, just running through my through my veins. Um, I get like even just thinking about like. Samoan things just gets me excited and just like yes I am that's who I am that's my people's um seeing uh, again it's like serving um and looking after your uh the elder your elders um your family um but also your community and um they're all just things that I would naturally do anyways um and which got me into the roles of the caring positions that um that I 
did uh, employed as a youth worker and disability, etc. Um, they were just natural roles that I would would um, get into. Um, I think, yeah, it's just a sense of pride. Yeah. It's a sense of pride that um, that I always have with me. Um, and obviously, the older I got, the um, more pride I had um, within my culture um, because, again, I was allowed to embrace it more yeah. and that was okay. Uh, I think... All right. So the first time I went to Samoa um, was in 2007 with my parents and um, three of my, uh, yeah, three of my other sisters. As soon as we landed, there was a sense of belonging. As soon as I put my feet on the ground, I was like, this is home. I know I wasn't born here, but this, this is where I feel connect. Um, I haven't been back since, uh, but I that's something I'm, um, I'm planning to do again but that sense of belonging yeah. um, was just just overwhelming like I think I cried just had like just yeah this is the motherland yes yeah um, and so the second what was the second the second part was what did you have to suppress at school like yeah what was that you tried not to bring out? Um, I think maybe maybe language or and maybe not being too proud, like just being a bit more humble, <laughs> like don't be too much into uh, everyone's face about like, you know, us Samoans are pretty cool, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should join my family. Um, but cool. I think... Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it also just not being too loud, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm yeah. sort of having to be more in the background and um, putting up with actual racism. Like, you know, kids would comment on the way I physically looked, how my hair physically was, and just being like, just saying oh okay you know what yeah like um and because that was something I was I kind of felt that that's what was allowed and okay if that makes sense I know yeah and the third part what did that actually feel like for you so not being too loud and not being too proud at school and then the second point, you like permitting that racism, what did, yeah, internally, what was your response? Um, you kind of feel a bit yucky. Yeah. And then it's when you get home and you're surrounded by like the brown faces again and you're like, ah, oh, this is, yeah, I've got my family, I've got my support. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't a, like, too crazy racist uh, but it was enough to um 
to make you feel uncomfortable. Like I had this boyfriend in grade two and he would say, you know, comment on my, the way that my face was flat and why do you have like big frizzy hair like that? And, you know, it was all like physical things. And um, that makes me a part of my identity, uh, my physical features. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so he was stumped and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. goodness wow and did it make you question your identity or made you shift your thinking maybe shifted a little bit where I kind of like yeah don't be don't be too out there don't be too yeah. don't be too someone yeah. yeah so I just and, you know, you brought that point up, like it was not too elaborate in comments or say sort of racial um, interactions, but mm. it was enough. And yeah. this is the thing, words have power and we yeah. have power to make people feel a certain way and sort of not even feel, but perhaps shift their thinking. And I just, I really do wonder whether how much of it affects people look i'm 42 this year yeah i still think about that so those words and those attitudes from when i was say 10 years old mm. over 30 30 plus years yeah. still have a a little bit in my brain where i remember the, the incidents mm. i remember the way that i was uh, either forced to feel or how I felt after being, um, you know, uh, just thought, yeah, just felt from growing up and the words and comments and all those sort of things. I think I, I'm hoping the kids see a bit like have a different um, experience now, but because there is more Pacifica, there is more representation out there. Um, but yeah, we'll get into representation when I uh, a little bit later, if you want, or, or we could talk about it now. So, what I would love to ask one final question be before yep. we have to get off this link, and mm -hmm. then we'll um, continue our conversation in the second one. But yep. so, with the Samoan culture, um, Blitter, you've told us about servitude. You've told us about the values. You've told us about that sort of feeling of belonging with within the family and that sort of a really strong sense of connection right yeah as as a say an outsider to um the Samoan culture I when I think of a Samoan culture I'm like oh the food and the dancing and yeah. that connection that that I can see is there yeah. a part of the culture that not many people know of but you would love to share that um look I think I I always kind of wish that we didn't have like in my head I would love to have had like um you know we go back to our ancestors beliefs um of, and not like follow Christianity because you know I yeah um 
So having more respect uh, for land and all that sort of stuff through our original gods and all that and whatnot, and not through like a Christian um, uh, Christian view, which puts a lot of shame and pressure on people too. I am a queer um, queer woman. I'm married to um, a white woman. Um, that too has its sort of own um, not debates as such, but it has had its little bit of com not com oh, maybe a little bit of complications at times. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really from uh, my mother, as opposed to the whole Samoan community. Um, yeah. So I'm happy to discuss that in a minute. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's jump on. All right. Thanks. Okay. Okay, so Latia, tell us more about, yeah, how you said it was from your mum's side where the complexity. So, okay, I um, my brother, who's two years older than myself, is gay. Mm -hmm. um, I've got at least like five cousins on my mum's side who are, who identify as queer. Um, and I being the eldest daughter of my mother because my dad was married twice yeah. um, and then his first wife passed away um, but uh, anyway so out of my mum's kids um, I being the eldest daughter um, had a lot of responsibility to you know to just kind of be there to help mum out with the younger siblings. Um, and so there was a lot of responsibility put on me too, um, to do that sort of uh, caring. Um, our relationship outside of um, my sexual identity was, it was a really good one, you know? There was a lot of banter, there was a lot of love, um, but there was also just like, you know, um, it's hard to describe, actually. It did have its complexities at times. Um, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. I think maybe she just thought it was because um, of being Catholic, and that's not like how uh, Catholicism looks at um, sexuality in general. Um, she was probably a lot more accepting of my gay brother than of me. So, yeah, uh, which I don't understand. Um, but, yeah, maybe that's something I unpack with the counsellor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'm just going through a rabbit down a rabbit hole now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, to be honest, it was, I didn't understand. Um, but I know that at the end of her time, she said, you know, I love you, you'll always be my, you know. So we did make peace um, and she made peace with, like, which should have not been part of it in the first place, but the sexuality um, stuff. Um, but yeah, but I'm happily married um, and have 
good support around um, around for both of us. Yeah. Um, and as uh, as my mum was passing, I got more involved with her church groups. So her community um, were open, like open arms. Um, to, to myself and my partner and that made me feel like oh okay so it's it's maybe just a mum thing it's not like a whole catholic like yeah. the catholics versus me <laughs> the church versus me the vatican versus me um yeah kind of thing so yeah oh interesting no thank you so much for sharing that Leter. um i can only imagine the complexities like it would mm. just be layers and layers of it. Um, yeah. Now let's get on to your author identity. What, uh, what inspired it? What is White Sunday? Um, yeah. Tell us. Okay. All right. So I'll just show you the book White Sunday. Yeah. Mia um, Yim, she's a very talented. Um, Korean author that is lives in Byron Bay. Um, so what got me into this? Uh, first of all, White Sunday is a day for children um, in um, I think Samoans, Tongans, and uh, across Pacifica nations, anyways, uh, celebrate ch children. And so the children they run mass, they get um, so the practice like. Uh, readings from the gospel or like prayers that they have to remember and do dancing and singing mm -hmm. um and then at the end of it they uh have uh celebration or tonai food um served to them by the adults which is a great time of year because like usually the kids have to do all the serving of food um so this is just a day for celebrating children and just letting, reminding them that hey you're just as important us as, as us adults and whatnot um one of the fun things is you do get to like play with all your mates your cousins and your siblings and in the book um there's ulus which are made the necklaces that we call or i think uh in hawaii they're called lays or something yeah 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 uh but we call them ula um and so the kids' ones, they usually get all those made out of chocolate or lollies. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I know. Every time I, every time I bring that up, it, it, that's the, like, universal response is, oh. Um, yeah, like, um, so imagine, like, me telling a group of grade threes that there was, like, just a, a, a yeah, yeah, the, the whole room was just full of oohs and ahs. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the kids get ulas. Um, sometimes you could see them with like ten thousand ulas on their necks that weigh, like weigh them down. Um, but yeah, so that's why Sunday, and it happens uh, every second uh, Sunday in October um, every year. Uh, and what got me to write this book? So a friend of mine that worked as a publisher. Um, at Hardy Grant, um, Bright Light Books, um, had asked if I could write a story about a, you know, Samoan kid um, in an Australian background, what that would look like. And I was thinking, I don't know, um, I, I guess I could try. And I had no idea what I could write about. And then 
it just eventuated like it's um started off with, with just like a Sunday lunch, mm -hmm. but then it's uh, just gradually evolved to oh let's do this lunch with um uh, on White Sunday an actual event. Um, and then it was like, let's evolve this to the main character gets stuck up a tree. And then that's the climax of the story is getting her down. And so the real um, story behind White Sunday is, yes, there is the event of White Sunday, but the um, the it's about really resilience. It's about using your inner strength of getting down your mana um your inner strength um and getting encouragement from the family to like to get you down from that tree um and yeah and it's also about food and like bringing uh, bringing the family together but mostly the thing and the themes are universal themes of food of resilience of um family um and, and yeah, so that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I wrote this book and my first uh, published book. Um, and I think, yeah, there'll be another one coming out in 2024. So keep your eyes out for that one. I'll let you know. Yes, please. And Latia, tell us about, okay, again, I always have lots of questions. So <laughs> just, um, what is, the history so we know what white sunday is but where did it originate from and why like it's a what a beautiful celebration to yeah a day to celebrate yeah. children what, 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 um, what's the origin they derived from the uh missionaries okay. that came over yeah yeah and uh brought that over to samoa um, I'm thinking like late 19th century sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think so it's just been carried on from then, from there. And like, you know how like Christianity just sort of has made its way throughout um, the Pacific nations. Um, that's just what has naturally happened. Yes. So interesting. And the second... Um, question was what was the sort of story writing process like for you as an author um so the story writing process I had a few copies like it's taken me two years to yep. get this um published I hadn't met the any of the publishing team because they're all down in Melbourne yeah. um, and I'm living up in Brisbane yeah. um, and that goes uh, also with the illustrator I just showed it gave her a couple of photos of like my myself and my family yeah. and all the pictures she just did herself and was amazing so there wasn't too much um, having to go back and forth yeah. uh, about making any too many big adjustments um, but yeah it does take a while to get it print like to get your story out there um the fact that i am one of the fortunate ones to get my story out there um that's been an amazing process um journey um but yeah so to go back to the actual uh um experience where the main character cena goes up a tree out she is playing hide and go seek with her cousins and her siblings um 
and then she gets stuck up this tree and then she gets scared and then she thinks I can't get down so her family encourage her especially her mother to use her mana which is her inner strength now when I was a kid in uh, New Zealand five years old I literally climbed up a fence at school um, and refused to get down for the teachers and the principal um, and when I think about it, I'm like, was I a baby sloth? Like, how, how long was I on that? <laughs> how long was I on that on the fence? But um, but so the principal had to call my mum. She had to come down to get me down. And then as I asked, asked her as an adult, I was like, what was I doing up there? She's like, I don't know what you were doing up there. And then I, you know, asked, so how did you get me down? And she said, I think I told you there was a packet of chips. And so, like, okay, <laughs> so, so I came down for the packet of chips. Great incentive. Um, oh, no, exactly right. Um, but, yeah, so this character not only is food-driven, but she's just like, I want to get down this tree so I can have lunch. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's what I have to say about that one. Yes, yeah. that's, that's all right. And um, any other part of the book that is drawn from your experience of white sunday as a child or as an adult yeah tell us about that what was your personal experience my personal experience so as i said um growing up uh there wasn't much of a community for us um in out at logan so we didn't do white sunday ourselves uh, as kids but as i grew up and my younger siblings grew up um, and my nieces and nephews, there was more of a community. So there was a big, uh, then there was a big Samoan population. And that's when they started to really kick off with the White Sundays. So I experienced it through um, attending with my baby sisters and with my nieces and nephews um, and just watching them go through it and watching them like, Three-year-olds reading uh, Bible passages is pretty cute, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, but yeah, it's just essentially it's such um, it's a it's a lovely event. It's a nice event, and that's that's my personal experience is watching uh, my other people grow through and go through um, White Sunday. Yeah, and what about as an adult? Um, as an adult, so I think participating through attending and like making ullas and putting ullas on the kids, letting them know that you're very special, I see you, you know, um, I acknowledge you uh, and well done for your efforts today, but also well done for being, um, a, yeah, well done for, for being a kid. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yes. There you go. And and in today's world, hey. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Thank you. Um, is there a special illustration in the book that you that might really connect with you, or a special sentence or a paragraph? Anything you'd like to a snippet that you'd yeah. like to share with us? So there was this picture that I posted uh, that I gave to the illustrator and it's of me sitting on my dad's lap 
Yeah. Um, now, my dad's passed away, and that was uh, 12 years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. But she, and without, like, me prompting, had put it in, like, a background picture. Yeah. And I cried. I was like, oh, my gosh. I never told you. I never, like, that was the last thing I thought um, would come to mind. But, um, yeah, she just put it in naturally. Um, so that was that was uh, very good f- for me. This picture is a cute one. Oh, that's Cena. Just she's uh, she's wondering whether I start to get hungry and I wonder about lunch. That's a sad face. Um, <laughs> there's another bit too where. Her mum comes to, because um, uh, her sister gets the mum and dad to come, you know, uh, to the tree where she's stuck. And her mum says, be brave, Baba. Remember your mana, your courage and strength. Now is the time to use your mana. Can you put your feet at the lower branch? And so um, that's her mum um saying that to her yeah and her climbing down one branch at a time um and what's interesting is I've had since um the release of the book um non-pacifica kids have been taking this book to the daycare centers and to their primary schools and to do show and tell um I had a uh, to share the book with their class with their classmates, um, which has been so cool. Um, so I've had a, like quite a positive feedback um, from yeah little kids who have been making their own ulas to take to school, uh, and so, so <laughs> I'm like busy. I know I'm like oh good on you little white boy that's really cute yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, but yeah so just just to have that like sort of impact um has been really rewarding and that's something too that I wanted to have and why I wanted White Sunday out there is for representation for Pacifica kids too Mm -hmm. like growing up I didn't come across any literature that had or picture books that had my face or my family's face or like uh, an event like white sunday in in the book uh, yeah it was mostly of like white character or like white children or um yeah so i think the representation um is a big factor in having um why i wrote it and why I was glad to work with um, another uh, woman of um, colour who could also identify with, um, you know, similar, similar um, experiences. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, And as a first time author, so Mm. your journey had been, say, a two year long journey from conception to publishing. Yeah. What was the feeling like when you held the book in your hand or when you were? felt surreal. Honestly, I was like, no, this isn't mine. This isn't my book. <laughs> um, I know there was like uh, just this disbelief. Uh, the more, um, yeah, when I got the author's copy, I was like, this is, this is insane. <laughs> I know, um, but yeah, when we got more copies and then 
things started to get real because I had an ABC um, radio uh, interview and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is for the book. This is like, because I wrote, I shared my voice and my story uh, and just the impact and it's, it's been a lovely feeling ever since. So, yeah. Absolutely. And my next question, that's a great segue into the first time you shared that story, reading your book. Yeah. What was that like? And who was the audience? Funny. I found it so funny. So when I was um, living at home and my baby sisters were like, I would always put them to sleep. Um, I would like read to them and sing to them and put like when when I'd read to them, I put like different character voices. Um, And then just write, having this copy and just going, oh my gosh, someone's probably doing that, the same thing. Um, to what I I did or do, and it's just such a nice feeling. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I just it's it's cool. That's amazing, and well, <laughs> congratulations! Like, what thank you, an absolute honor and yeah, accomplishment to become a children's book author. So fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it very soon and um, sharing it with the students I work with. I think it was an amazing discussion. Um, Now, Litea, before we do wrap up, is there anything that you've wanted to share that I've possibly not delved into or thought about? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we covered a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I covered some ground, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all been great. It's been really fun. It's been really, yeah, a fun interview. So thank you. And um for the final wrap-up question, do you yeah. perhaps have three to five? They don't have to be <laughs> three to five, but key takeaways for Anyone in the world listening to this conversation? Um, I think you've got a, everyone's got a story. Yeah. Uh, you know that. We all know that. It's okay to share it. Use your voice. Um, if you have an idea about a book, just write it down and just go with it. Um, uh, try not to be so hard on yourself. And... Um, yeah, just have fun. Um, and it will take time and you just have to be realistic about that too. But also once you get that sweet hard copy, <laughs> you'll, um, <laughs> you'll, um, yeah, it, it's an overwhelming feeling, but enjoy the ride. And I think um, as mum says in the book here, use your mana. If you're feeling scared, use your inner strength. It's okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, mostly have fun. Uh, you've got an idea, write it down, use your voice, and this is a great platform to share your story too. So Thank you. So Thank you. Um, and mana, so in, in my mother tongue, man, actually mean mm. inner belief and you, yeah it's really interesting the sort of just yeah yeah man means inner belief 
Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's so it's, oh, yeah. just a connection that we like mana in throughout Pacifica has the same thing, right? Yeah. And in Maori culture, and but you say um, man is inner belief. Yeah. So yeah. it is that inner strength and that inner belief. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Universal. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, and a beautiful word, really, yeah. just a beautiful one to stick with. Yeah. Um, yep. Thank you so much for taking your time, energy, and effort into sharing so much with us. It's been such a gift. And for everyone that will be listening to this conversation, it will be available on YouTube, um, Human Chapters YouTube, Human Chapters Podcast, and Human Chapters Facebook page. Please share it. It's, yeah. Like and get the book. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful <laughs> one. So all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. See you. See you later.